Welcome to Witch and Goddess. I'm your host, Patty Black. I'm a witch, a teacher, and priestess. Goddess devotion is an essential part of my craft, and many goddesses are my cohorts in magic. Each episode, we explore a different goddess, her lore, and how to connect with her energetically and magically. Welcome back. Thanks for listening. Content warning. We are discussing death heavily in this episode. Also, fair warning, if you love your monotheistic, patriarchal religion, you will probably not love the opinions I'm sharing today. Yes, we are talking shadow goddesses. And shadow goddesses, by my definition, are any divine feminine deities who exhibit qualities that current mainstream society considers taboo or undesirable. Things like being overly sexual, whatever that means, or aggressive, intimidating associated with themes of death or the underworld. Goddesses who are known for expressions of rage, basically anything that frightens us. They are the goddesses that have been labeled difficult or challenging to work with. If you ask other pagans about them, you may even be warned not to go there. Or you may have heard cryptic reports of how one of these goddesses shook up someone's life. And yes, they're often called dark goddesses, And I've chosen not to identify this topic or these goddesses with the word dark, and I'd like to explore why. In this instance, dark is code for bad, negative, or dangerous. First, I think we need to step back a bit to get some distance from modern ideas of good and bad. We tend to polarize ideas to the extreme. If it's not good, it must be bad, and bad is unacceptable. If it isn't this, it must be that. The human desire to label and categorize things is necessary and has helped us navigate this vast world. But holy hell, do we go too far? Good and bad, divine and evil, have had a long-standing association with the words light and dark. When we choose to lump everything into one extreme end of the spectrum or the other, we lose all of the nuance, we lose all of the shades between. The world is made of gray areas, and we have to let go of the automatic association of light with good and dark with bad. It has propped up racist ideas for far too long. It's damaging, and it's dangerous. What I'm getting at is, the whole concept of dark deities is false. It's a label that modern Western culture has created for the illusion of safety, an imaginary fence that we hope will protect or at least distance us from these spirits who both thrill and challenge us. Early worshippers and cults devoted to these goddesses would not have considered them evil. Why? Far back in history, across all cultures, people lived more closely with the land and seasonal cycles. Today, we have literally put ourselves in towers, divorced from the risks and dangers that our ancestors faced. Death was a daily reality, and it could come very suddenly. Our ancestors were intimately acquainted with the cycle of life. Death wasn't boxed away somewhere, only to be dealt with occasionally, as needed. They saw death, they dealt death, and they confronted it. Ereshkigal is a great example of this. She is the queen of the Mesopotamian underworld, also called the Land of No Return. As a queen of the underworld, 
ruler of the realm of the dead, modern reports often assume she's terrifying, evil, or somehow dreaded. But ancient texts show us a respected and wise queen. For example, here are the final lines of Ereshkigal's most legendary tale, The Descent of Inanna. Holy Ereshkigal, great is your renown. Holy Ereshkigal, I sing your praises. Her people accepted the inevitability of death. And ancient people also knew what followed death, rebirth. They saw new life bloom from the very earth where it ended months before. They also observed that life was born of sex, the mingling of bodies in passion. The Puritan judgment of sex as dirty and sinful came later. And we still haven't recovered a healthy relationship with human sexuality. Many ancient cultures and beliefs held the cycles of life as sacred, the cycles of seasons, of the moon, and of our human bodies were observed and revered. Before monotheistic patriarchal religions, many cultures considered time as cyclical, with a self-renewing nature, ideas they almost certainly got from observing natural cycles. Most of us have been raised under generations of obsession with linear time, with the widespread belief that we live only once, that every second that passes is a permanent loss, that our very existence is an ever-increasing deficit. It's fucking depressing. It's no wonder we have trouble believing in magic, that so many people search in vain for a larger purpose to apply to their lives. No surprise that as we age, we become obsessed with leaving a legacy. It's because we think... This is it. This is my one shot and then it's over. I was just a single tiny spark on this cold timeline. When really, as I see it, we are a long thread woven all across this tapestry of existence, showing up in different locations, sometimes topside, and then spending some time underneath the visible pattern only for the needle to pull us up again later in another part of the pattern. When death becomes it, with a capital I, when it becomes the most serious kind of deadline, people will automatically regard it with fear. Somewhere in history, death became the worst thing that could happen. But have you ever considered that it's not? Listen, I'm not pro-death, but many things happen to the living every day that are far worse than the peaceful conclusion to a life. Western culture specifically any parts strongly influenced by Christianity, have a toxic fear of death. More so when you consider that death is the end of your life on earth and that according to Christianity, if you fuck it up, if you are a sinner who somehow misses the bus to Jesus' official Disneyland in the clouds, then you'll suffer excruciating torture for an eternity. And by the way, you're all dirty sinners who must repent and just be thankful that you even get that chance at salvation. Along with the fear of death, Christianity laid a heavy dose of sex and pleasure shaming over the Western society, so death and sexuality become two common traits that we see in shadow goddesses. As written by Demetra George, author of Mysteries of the Dark Moon, to engage in sexuality for any other reason than procreation within marriage was contrary to living a spiritual life. This denial of the ecstatic and healing powers of sexuality led to its becoming the ultimate temptation to holy men. 
ever wary of the seductive nature of women, forcing them to weaken and sin. So, in a lot of ways, the very existence of the dark goddess category is the result of the demonization of the divine feminine. If she's lusty, just bet she has also acquired evil, dangerous, or dark as key descriptors. And this description, and the very word demonization, automatically reminds me of the original shadow goddess, the infamous Lilith. When we talk about Lilith, we really have to look at her connections to the word demon. Her name is, quite literally, almost synonymous with demon. But before anyone throws their hands in the air, exclaiming, See, I knew she was evil. We absolutely have to take a closer look at the word demon. Our understanding of the word only encompasses a very small and very modern bit of its long history. If you got your definition of demon from Christianity, I hope you save the receipt because we're going to exchange it. The original Greek word daemon did not carry negative connotations. It was kind of a generic term to reference any spirit or divine power. Hmm. Divine power, kind of like a deity or even a god? Maybe. At least some of them. You see, way back, before the Abrahamic god, the father, decided he was going to call himself the only god, people of many cultures were fully aware that the world was populated by lots of different spirits. Some they revered, some they feared, and they collaborated magically with a lot of them. Many of these ancient spirits were considered to be neutral, not wholly good or bad. Kind of like us. So God the big guy decides to shoot his shot. Or maybe his followers were behind it. Either way, they needed to eliminate the competition, all of these other spirits and deities. And I think it looked a lot like a modern political campaign, especially the negative ads. Super biased, alternative facts, just big smear campaigns that proliferated for over 2,000 years. And now we all instantly associate the word demon with deeply malevolent and harmful, destructive beings. So demons became demonized. It was so successful that Christianity is still running this particular racket. Just go talk to my mom. She will be happy to tell you that anything, gnosis, power, guidance, whatever, that doesn't come from Jesus is demonic or of the devil. I mean, she also once told me that she's never walked around naked in her own home because the people in heaven might look down and see her. So, anywho, now that we've got a little background on this word demon, we can look at Lilith's earliest origins. Nope, not that classic scene with Adam and his obsession with the missionary position. Lilith was around a lot earlier than that. Earliest knowledge or awareness of her was as a wind spirit who was connected to the Sumerian goddess Ninlil, also known as Lady of the Air. Ninlil was said to have birthed the moon in the darkness of the netherworld. She was also the grandmother of Inanna, the Sumerian queen of heaven. And this is how we get to Lilith's earliest written history as handmaid to Inanna, bringing men to the temple for the holy sexual rites. So from her earliest mentions, Lilith was associated with sexuality, playing an important role in its sacred celebration. The influence 
of young patriarchy sought to eliminate the presence of goddesses in communities. And one of the best ways to do this was to reframe so much of what she represented as evil. Beauty and sensuality were said to be the evil wiles of impure women used to lead men to destruction. Lilith became the ultimate scapegoat for men's sexual thoughts. She was widely believed to tempt and assault men in their dreams. That's right. She was literally blamed for wet dreams, i.e. the wasteful spillage of seed that should have been used to grow your God-fearing family. Seriously, so many mentions of nighttime emissions. This talk, labeling women's sexual power as something to fear, started early and we still see it today. It's a huge root of misogyny. And apparently, young women are still leading boys down the path to ultimate doom by revealing their bellies and shoulders in high schools all over the U.S. By around 2000 BCE, Lilith, as a spirit of the air, had taken on the role of a monster of the night, responsible for storms and other natural disasters. Additionally, as the OG harlot and homewrecker, she also became known as increasingly dangerous to pregnant women and infants. Eventually, she became known as an actual murderer of newborns. Again, Lilith is absolutely a goddess of feminine liberation and independence. Historically, those ideas are not compatible with being a wife and mother. Consider how dangerous it would have been for men and the growing patriarchy to allow the worship of a goddess who fucks who and how she wants, who feels free to leave her husband when she wishes. Much better to pile every single fearsome trait upon her, make her so reviled and her story so miserable that no woman would dare to dream of a life on top. If you've listened to my earlier episode on Lilith, you know that she has strong connections to serpents, nighttime, and the waning moon, themes you'll see come up with a lot of shadow goddesses. Let's look at the snake as a symbol. They're often considered chthonic creatures because they live and move so closely to the earth and the underworld. The snake is a creature of depth, of the dark soil, mysterious, dangerous, and difficult to contain or control. The serpent is unknowable. It's impossible to predict what she'll do next. I would argue that these qualities make for a fascinating and resilient creature or human. Unfortunately, they're not valued in a traditional life. Our shadow goddesses often represent the qualities that are shamed and considered unacceptable in good people, especially women. Qualities like defiance and rage, aggression, combativeness, and vengeance. We see these qualities in goddesses like Kali, the Morrigan, Hecate, and others. Hecate especially leads conversations and tops most lists of shadow goddesses. She's another nighttime goddess. In fact, one of her many epithets is night wandering. And after dark is the best time to invoke her or to leave offerings for her at the crossroads. Hecate is known for so many things. But perhaps the aspect that has intimidated so many is that of Hecate Brimo. Brimo meaning angry one, the terrifying or crackling flame. This is her destructive and wrathful aspect. Hecate is not the only goddess called Brimo. The epithet has been used to refer to both Demeter and Persephone, 
but Akate seems more known for it. And in her aspect as Brimo, she can shake the very foundations of injustice. It is in this form that she may be called, or might manifest, when one has been seriously wronged. Can you think of a moment when you have channeled your own version of Brimo? I think it feels like stepping into an inferno of dangerous action. It is righteous, potent, and directed rage. The kind of rage that gets serious shit done. One would not want to live in this energy, or even dip into it very often. But I don't think we can deny that there are times when it is needed. Whether you're calling on Hecate Brimo, or being inspired by her. Ultimately, witches have so much in common with shadow goddesses, historically reviled and ostracized, used as scapegoats and to stoke fear. In a word, misunderstood. It's a topic that's on my mind so much these days. So many of the historical and traditional practices of witches are simply misunderstood and have so much potential to strengthen our practices and deepen our connection to our witch self. For example, the use of blood in witchcraft sounds ominous, maybe even evil, but blood is one of the most potent ways to symbolize life force energy or vitality in a spell. It can be and is used both safely and ethically in many spells. The mention of using poisonous plants like nightshade, datura, may sound unnecessarily dangerous, but there are really valid reasons that witches have continued to use them over the centuries. The plant spirits of toxic plants can be beautifully powerful in magic, and they love to work with witches. Seriously, you can just feel the plant's personality and excitement to be involved in your craft. There's a reason they're associated with witchcraft. Of course, you certainly need to understand how to safely work with these substances. If any of these topics or other so-called taboo practices of witchcraft have been calling to you, you may be interested in the program I'm launching mid-January 2022. Forbidden Craft is a nine-week program for the witch or magic maker who is curious about touchy topics in witchcraft. Things like baneful magic, strong protection practices, and the safe and ethical use of blood, bones, and entheogens in their practice, and other topics. This program will explore the history, the benefits of these mysterious practices, and help you to understand why they're not evil. Lessons include complete personal protection, the poison path, baneful magic, necromancy and death magic, dark goddesses, blood magic, banishing and binding, crafting and using poppets, creating a death candle, using bones in your practice, safely creating a personal poison talisman. Video lessons and content are delivered conveniently within a private Facebook community and live Zoom sessions. Payment plans are available. If Forbidden Craft feels like the right direction for deepening your craft in the new year, you can find out more at blackbirdmagic.com. Remember, that's magic with a CK. You can also find out about one-on-one sessions and my other group courses there. If you like the show, please rate, subscribe, and tell your coven. You can connect with me on Instagram at witchandgoddesspod. I love emails and messages, so let me know about your goddess experiences at witchandgoddesspod at gmail.com or by leaving a recorded message on the Witch and Goddess page at anchor.fm.